just caught me mid mid sip of coffee. Uh, I'm Laura Huey, and you're joining me for Sociology 9021, which is a, a graduate seminar on qualitative research methods. As promised, uh, before the great incipient corona crisis, I um, had promised my students that I would work in a little bit of participatory action research, which is, um, it's been around for a while, but it's really starting to emerge in the social sciences, particularly in research with indigenous communities, as well as uh, um, we're, seeing, we're seeing it increasingly being used uh, in research that's being done overseas with different types of communities and groups. And so I thought it was worthwhile for us to have a discussion about this. Uh, I want to let you know that I'm here with my co-hosts Chewbacca and Lucy. They are currently enjoying uh, a bribery. I'm not going to lie. For those of you that follow me on Twitter, you know that I have been hoarding dog treats. Everyone thinks that I'm hoarding dog treats because of the Corona cri uh, crisis. I am not directly anyway. I'm hoarding them so that I can use them for effective bribery so we can get through these discussions with hopefully minimal interruptions. I wouldn't, since Lucy just started growling, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. All right, let's get started. What is PAR? I'm lazy, we're gonna call it PAR. So PAR, participatory action research, it's a qualitative research method, uh, methodology. In a very sort of idealized way of framing this, we could say that it is democratic, equitable, liberating, and life enhancing. I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit of a cynic. I'm not sure that that's necessarily uh, that that that's necessarily the case in practice. But certainly in an ideal in an idealized form, it's intended to be. It's a method that creates a somewhat co-equal relationship between researchers and participants who are no longer just participants. They are actually part of, if you will, of the research team, the research community. I have no idea why Lucy's sitting here staring at her brother growling, other than the fact he seems to be sitting on an oinky that she wants. So I might have to do an ex oinky extraction. Um, for those of you that don't know, oinkies are a uh, dog delicacy. All right, so PAR um, pays attention to individual uh, feelings, views, and patterns, which are, again, in an idealized form, revealed without control or manipulation from the researcher. This is uh, a research methodology that, oh, here we go. I'm gonna do the extraction. There you go, Lucy. All right, I've successfully extracted the wanky without getting bit. This is good news for everyone, especially me. Um, the, this is that whole objective versus objective debate that we find in research generally, but it's specifically in relation to qualitative research. This idea that you, know, you can have this objective bird's eye view on research that, that is completely neutral to your own position, your own um, socioeconomic status, your lived experiences and so on. A lot of researchers would argue that's completely um, ridiculous, that we all, all individuals are subject to cognitive frames, oftentimes cognitive biases, if you will, as well as uh, to frames that are we've developed 
over the course of our lifetime through our exposure to different types of learning, different types of people, different social experiences, and of course our own education and upbringing. So this gets, this kind of says, yeah, we need to accept that uh, knowledge is highly subjective and it is often devoid of the subjective experiences of the people that we study and more reflective of the subjective experiences of the researcher. I think there's something to this. Certainly in the work that I do with police services, I'm cognizant of the fact that while I do have a role to play as the outside observer, that oftentimes the inside experience, I was going to say experiencer, the inside experiencer's uh, understanding of things contributes significantly to giving me a better informed picture of what's actually going on. Uh, so there's certainly a case to be made for this. Um, again, in an idealized form, uh, the participant is active in making informed decisions throughout all aspects of the research. And the goal here, let's just highlight this, is imparting social change. This is not the reason why we use terms like emancipatory, democratic, and so on, life enhancing, is because, oh, how the hell did I scroll back? There we go. Is because of this idea that research should be a form of action. The origins for PARC uh, date back to the 1940s, a fellow by the name of Kurt Lewin, who developed this idea of action research. Research that is not just to understand something, but to effectively try to change social practices, institutions, and so on that, that contribute to all sorts of social problems. You remember, think back to what, the, what things were like in the 1940s. You had you had Jim Crow laws in the Southern US, you had active forms of segregation and discrimination in, in other parts of the US and, and elsewhere as well. Let's be clear about that. You had 1944, you had the Holocaust taking place. You had um, a world that was essentially, that was essentially in crisis and a lot of that crisis centered around active forms of racism, discrimination, economic exploitation, and so on. And so here comes Lewin who says, you know what, research should be in the service of a greater good beyond just explaining things for their own explanatory value. And again, I 100% I can support this and agree with this. You know, anybody that does any type of an evidence-based work, whether it's evidence-based medicine, whether or not it's evidence-based uh, policy, evidence-based nursing, is interested in trying to affect change that will improve practice, policy, and ideally some aspects of social life, if not, you know, most. So what are some basic elements of the PAR approach? This comes from McTaggart, who's one of the early, uh, earlier uh, proponents. Well, first of all, as I said, an orientation towards improving social practice through change. Authentic participation and collaboration. Partnerships with the local community can't be the typical thing where researchers pile it into the community, extract a bunch of time, energy, knowledge from that community, 
and then say peace out and and you know uh, present their findings at conferences and in papers that nobody reads. So that is the antithesis of this PAR approach. It involves people in critical, critically analyzing and theorizing about their experiences and practices. Great example of this, and again, for those of you that are doing the uh, qualitative um, uh, comprehensive exam, one of the readings is from Mitch Dunier. It's called Sidewalk. I love Sidewalk, although he doesn't frame it as PAR. That's basically what he's doing. Uh, he and I've talked about this in the class before. He goes out and he work, he he conducts field research with street-based uh, magazine vendors, people who've uh, managed to they've got magazines, for example, out of dumpsters, out of trash, out of other places, and then they sell them out on the streets to make to make to make basically their living, and uh, rather than just sitting there as the neutral observer, he actively participates at various points in time, but he also invites their participation into the research. And part of that is, um, and especially with one particular uh, participant, it is heavily involved in critically uh, reanalyzing what Dunier's analyzed. So he's interpreting Dunier, he's interpreting his own experiences as he's comparing that to what Dunier um, how Danier has framed the research that's been done on them. And in fact, as I said in, in a couple classes ago, he actually invites this participant into the classroom to help co-teach a course based on this research. I think that's a fantastic idea. We try to do a little bit of that as well in, in my policing class. Mm. Coffee, gotta love it. All right, and then of course, testing ideas and assumptions about social practices and social structures. So why did the PAR approach develop? Well, I've, I've given you lots of reasons, but let's, let's come down to what Tandon has had to say. First of all, dominant research paradigms uh, were seen as being insufficient and frequently oppressive. I would use the term exploitive. Like I said, go into a community, and you see, you historically we've seen a ton of this with indigenous research, where people basically pile it into the community, extract local knowledge and wisdom, and then again produce works that serve their career but don't actually benefit the local community. Uh, dominant research paradigms. Oh, here we go. Well, I skipped ahead. Don, I guess Tana said the same damn thing. Um, dominant research paradigms exploited a large majority of people in underdeveloped countries, and I added, and in marginalized communities. My own work with evidence-based policing I see as a modified version of this approach. With evidence-based policing, what we do is we try to co-create, co-execute, and um, co-analyze and co-write uh, the results of the work that we do with police officers. So a great example of this co-development is a forensic project that I did with a police service. A friend of mine who was the head of, who was the staff sergeant for a forensic ident unit, and I started talking about trauma in forensic work and how, you know, we could, we could identify resiliency and build resiliency to minimize or to reduce some of the impacts of uh, potential impacts of trauma or the lingering effects, after effects of trauma. 
Now, here's the thing. I know a lot about forensics. I know a lot about trauma and resiliency, but I know nothing about how a forensic identification unit works. So here I have somebody who knows everything about it and understands some aspects of research, and I understand some aspects of forensics, but the combination of the two of us together doing a project that will ideally benefit this particular um, group of individuals in their professional and personal lives, this is a big deal. And um, the project unfortunately died for, for various reasons, but just that coat, we basically sat down together and worked out the methodology. And his, not just, it's not input, it's co-creation. He and I sitting down together as co-creators of the methodology made that research project viable in ways that it would not have been viable otherwise. I don't need agreement or input. I need somebody that is just as heavily invested in the success of this as I am. And that, that is what PAR can do. Another great example is a tech project I recently did with a police service in Western Canada. We um, did a research project on special victims investigators and, and how technology has impacted their work. There were two pieces. First of all, the project was co-created and co-executed. The part of the project was a file review that was actually executed by the police service. And I had some, you know, we had some discussion back and forth. So I had some input, if you will, in, into their side of it. And uh, the research team, the, uh, the external research team here at Western, we did interviews. And then what we were able, and of course, again, with a lot of active support and, and say from, from our police partners, we, were, we did the analysis together. We did the analysis piece on the interviews, but it was informed by the case review and vice versa. And the results were co-written and uh, hopefully it will be co-published. So I find this type of work incredibly rewarding and um, provides insights and knowledge into your domain of research in a way that you would not otherwise get if you were not working in close collaboration with your partners. So I'm actually a huge fan of this. So what are some of the methods that you can use with PAR? PAR is a framework for uh, thinking through how you're going to do your research. It is not a, I would argue, it is not a methodology itself. And I see people misuse this all the time. They say, we're going to do PAR. Well, that's great. Uh, how exactly are you planning on doing the research though? Are you going to do participant observation? Are you going to do with field, like get out in the field and be active in the community? Um, are you going to do interviews? Are you going to do focus groups? Community meetings can be a great source of, of, of uh, research data, generating research data and getting voices from different aspects of the community that you might not perhaps otherwise hear from. Photo voice, digital storytelling. Like, don't tell me that you're going to do PAR and then not elaborate on exactly what that looks like. It's again, I've seen some, I've seen some examples of this and it's, it's, you know, ridiculous. So McDonald, this is, um, this is some work that McDonald has done in relation to exploring, uh, 
indigenous women's and primary health care providers' experiences with accessing and obtaining pap smears. So in two rural First Nations communities in eastern Nova Scotia, um, PAR has used uh, PAR. McDonald has used a PAR-based uh, approach to start to understand healthcare for Indigenous women in, in places that are, you know, where accessing healthcare might not be as easy. And doing this allows her to consider the broader historical, economic, and socio-political context that shape these women's healthcare experiences. Yeah, it's great to know that people can access healthcare, or, but what does that mean? What does that look like? How is that experienced? And so on. This is why doing this kind of work is important. Uh, here's another example. Uh, Schneider in 2012 used a PAR-based approach for uh, looking at mental health service users. And in fact, what she did was she worked with a group called Hearing Our Voices and uh, conducted participatory projects in Calgary with a group of individuals who were diagnosed with schizophrenia. And participation in this research was aimed at looking at how to promote health equity. So how to increase inclusion um, and, and feelings of you know, belonging as well as equal access to healthcare and all that stuff that's super important, but that marginalized communities often don't get. So how to, especially when I'm, I'm, let's be honest, individuals with diagnosed mental health issues still carry a ton of stigma, especially serious conditions like schizophrenia and, and others, where, you know, it's like they tend to be completely discounted when it comes to talking about issues around health or issues in general. So how to get those voices in and heard in terms of shaping access to healthcare is is hugely important. And it also it's not just important in terms of healthcare outcomes. It's also hugely important in terms of uh, feelings of citizenship and being equal contributors to society. So what are some of the strengths of PAR? Well, one of course is the development of insights that can inform meaningful research, and of course the possibility of affecting meaningful social, political, and or practice-oriented change. For those of you that do much more applied work such as myself, um, this is a key component here, practice-oriented change. I'm not looking at, well, long-term, I'd love to affect some type of a social or institutional change, but realistically, I'll settle for practice-oriented change in small doses incrementally to create, hopefully, a larger sustainable change. Uh, I'm not a super, I'm a pragmatist, not a super idealist, as you can tell. Other people go into this, they want to create a meaningful social or political change. Um, good luck. That's the cynic in me. Oh, I don't know why. Oh, because I'm skipping backwards instead of going forwards. Here we go. Limitations. First of all, this is time consuming. This is not something you're just going to dip your toe in and dip it out. So when people say, oh, I'm going to do this uh, PAR study in a year, I'm like, haha, let me know how that works for you. It takes a long time to develop and sustain relationships with communities, especially communities that have been historically screwed over. As well, you've got to ensure community access and participation, not just from some people, but from as many people within the community as possible. 
that takes time, especially if you are an outsider. Of course, there's always the possibility of factionalism with any communities who gets a privileged voice and who doesn't. And making sure that the work that you do isn't driven by that factionalism. There's a great, I remember a long time ago, I've done work, you know, 20 years ago, I, did, I was working in the downtown east side of Vancouver. And somebody who was heavily involved in local community politics said to me, as soon as um, you get two people, open up, a, open up a nonprofit in the downtown east side, then the next day, one of them leaves to open up a nonprofit to counter what the other person was doing. I forget how he put it. But basically, um, the argument is, is that oftentimes there's, the, some communities are much more uh, ripe with factionalism and uh, it can become, it can lead into some very, fairly divisive politics. So you have to be very sensitive to that going in and make sure that you're not representing just the dominant view because that's what PAR is not supposed to be about, but that you're trying to represent as many views as possible within a community. As well, oftentimes what happens with PAR, this drives me crazy, people come in and they think, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work with the local community and I'm going to hire some local people who will um, serve as research conduits or gatekeepers. And that can be fraught with all sorts of difficulties. First of all, Sometimes people have ambivalent feelings about their own work. Like they're, you know, let's face it, especially in marginalized communities, this is a cool opportunity, but um, unless you're giving really good training and support for those people, you're kind of leaving, you can often leave them hanging in the wind. Um, and you won't get the results that you want, the community won't get the results they want, and the person just feels like this is just a token thing. As well, they might be viewed as not being a real researcher by other members of the community as well as by other members of the team. And so then that leads to marginalization within the PAR project. And so that's something else that you've got to pay close attention to. Uh, I think that co-creation, uh, don't get me wrong, love, love a good gatekeeper, love a good con research conduit. But the best research I've seen is research where there's co-equal representation across the board. And it's not just hiring people for key positions to like, you know, uh, to be like a token member. I said key, forget, hang on, I need coffee. Mm. Ah, my brain's working again. Skip what I said about key, key positions. It's not just hiring people for token positions. Uh, so that you can say that you're engaged in this, but not actually meaningfully involving them. Lucy 100% agrees with this. Lucy, I'm glad that you've, uh, I'm glad you're supporting me on this, but we don't need to hear from you. Oh, actually Lucy was signaling that I am finished. Yay! Wow. And I actually brought this in in under half an hour. I'm getting better kids. All right. Thanks. Take care. And I'll